Welcome to episode 67 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 7. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories and life lessons. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories matter, stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Hello from the US. I am back and I must say that I was very sad to leave my mother. She is still not fully recovered and I continue to invoke prayers from all of you for her health and speedy recovery. This will also explain why. This is the first time in 67 episodes that I missed releasing my weekly episode on a Wednesday. Besides the fact that I traveled all of Tuesday, as you must know that flight time is 15 hours between the two countries, I also wanted to spend every minute with my mom before I left India, and thus I was not able to do the needful to release on time. And for that, I hope my listeners will bear with me. For those who have not tuned into episode number 66 yet, where I interviewed Anarsha, a 29-year-old chartered accountant turned yoga teacher, I urge you to do so as listenership for that episode is off the charts at 471 downloads so far. I will not be surprised if it surpasses 500 downloads today. Our positive thought to begin today's episode is very relevant to what we are about to discuss. This is a note to self by an unknown writer. And it reads, quote, What is my purpose in life? I asked the void. What if I told you that you fulfilled it when you took an extra hour to talk to that kid about his life, said the voice, or when you paid for that young couple in the restaurant, or when you saved that dog in traffic, or when you tied your father's shoes for him? Your problem is that you equate your purpose with goal-based achievement. The universe isn't interested in your achievements, just your heart. When you choose to act out of kindness, compassion, and love, you are already aligned with your true purpose. No need to look any further. End quote. I will continue to bring you amazing guests from India for a couple more episodes. Today's guest is a social entrepreneur, writer, speaker, and trainer. She talks about how the world would be a better place to live in if somehow we can manage to merge the commercial and social aspects of our lives. Everyone, join me in welcoming Karen Shiva. Welcome to Sharing Life Lessons, Karen. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. Our meeting was recommended by a very close friend of mine, Rupa, and Rupa is also a very close friend of yours. We'd happen to be talking about what's happening in India these days. And she said, you know what, Hamida, why don't you interview Karen, my friend, because she's doing phenomenal work in India. And I offered for you to become a guest and you accepted. So thank you very much. Absolutely my pleasure. I wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> and uh, more importantly, I think it's always these circles that seem to connect us and where you get drawn into something because you are already in touch with somebody else. And, and I really, really believe in that. And yes, thanks to our, our mutual friend Rupa. Yeah, uh, who's been my yep. college buddy. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, sure. Uh, Karen, why don't you start us off by 
telling us something about yourself, but I know that we are going to do this a little differently here because you want to be able to talk about yourself and your story at the same time because you think it's inseparable. So yes, go ahead. Tell us about you and your story, please. Thank you so much, Amida. Yes, I think who I am and what I am and my story is definitely so interlinked with what I do. I could never say that my story is about a sequence of events, right? Because every single event is influenced by what we, situation you are in, the people you meet, and then the decisions you take. So everything is interlinked. So no story is without all these elements. And, and therefore, I'm really, uh, really pleased to be able to share that with you. I think I'm going to go in reverse. Uh, I love doing things differently. In fact, I should change that word. It's not love. I'm obsessed with doing things differently. (laughs) (laughs) And I am very open to doing things differently too. So please go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Today, I founded a social enterprise. 12 years exactly. I can't believe it's 12 years already. And I also had a nonprofit that was started uh, five years ago. So we are a hybrid organization, which is partly a for-benefit organization and then a non-profit. And how did I come to doing this? And why is it that one is 12-year-old and one is five? When I sit down and think about it now, especially thanks to you reflecting on it, I realize how much what we think and what we do finally has long-term implications, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the time you're doing it, at the time you're thinking this through, you really don't realize this at all. But there will be a time when you will see that link. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, wow, I just didn't think it would turn out this way. And that's what hope is all about as well, isn't it? So let's talk about how I got here. And I'm really going to take you right to the beginning. As a child as well, I think I was always a part of the social sector, always part of volunteering activities. And luckily in school, we used to have this uh, socially useful, productive work. I still remember SUPW. And that really was something I loved doing. Church. I was also a part of church activities where, again, we had to volunteer. And, you know, these small things you do in your childhood, which you may not really think of having as long-term effects, but they do. But that's what I did in terms of school and church. And that kind of helped me really get into Uh, the spirit of volunteerism. And I think that's a very important thing to imbibe that because it is the values we have that drive us. Our values drive us to action. And therefore, what values we imbibe is really, really critical. And then, of course, you start your career and you get so busy with life. But I think slowly I started again thinking and saying that I want to do some things. And so, again, I got involved with volunteering activities. But it wasn't really until something changed so drastically in my life that I really came face to face with understanding what it really means to be part of the world. What does it really mean? to live life. And I, of course, hope that others don't have to go through such life-changing incidents, but can learn from others' stories and others' experiences. But I had a very, very checkered career. I had gone through seven different industries, okay, starting with being an engineer, computer engineer, and being obviously 15 years in the computer industry. But after which I really started exploring and I went through seven, as I said, industries. And many people say, how can you do that? And I was like two reasons, two very simple things. A, if an opportunity presents itself to learn something new, grab it. 
Why? Because very simple, you're learning something new and every time you learn something new, you're growing, right? So for me, that was very important. So that was the first reason. And the hey, second Ka- Ka- Karen, reason... Karen, take us through some of the industries you've been in. Okay. So of course, started with computer industry, after which I went into uh, finance, then I went into education, then I went into a BPO, then I did the social sector, then I did taxation. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing now. So one not related to the other at all. Very different, disparate, seven industries. Okay, not heard this before, but go on. Yeah, please, I missed the last and the most important before I got into the social sector. And you will be shocked, uh-huh. okay? Because you can't have more disparate than this. The diamond jewelry industry. <laughs> okay, okay, definitely. You do like to do things differently. I know now. <laughs> I know when people used to ask me when I was in the social sector when I first got started, it actually went against me because when people asked me, what were you doing before this? And I would say I was in the diamond industry. They were like, we couldn't believe that someone from diamonds could move into social number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, they didn't think that would last long. But I think I was blessed because every one of that has been an experience that has helped me today when I started my own enterprise and running my own nonprofit. So it has definitely been majorly useful, which takes me to the second reason why you should never say no to new experiences. You get an opportunity to do transferable skills, understand Mm -hmm. the value of transferable skills, understand the value of diversity. Our biggest problem today in the corporate world, or not just corporate world, even in our personal lives, is that we tend to be with folks who are like us. Mm. And and I'm not saying it's wrong, yeah, because it's natural. It's a natural instinct to go to people who are like you. But if you can go beyond that first look, beyond that first feeling, to understand that people with diverse backgrounds can contribute so much and in fact, when we do our work around the DNI work, mm-hmm. we do not call it diversity and inclusion. We call it diversity and innovation. Because when you say diversity and inclusion, it sounds like a checklist. It sounds mm-hmm. like a compliance. Okay, It sounds like, oh, I need to do this. But if you say diversity and innovation, number one, it answers the first question about diversity and inclusion. Why do I need to do diversity and inclusion? Well, because it's diversity and innovation. The minute you have diversity in your team, in your thinking, in your process, you will start the process of innovation. And so the answer is right there in the name, diversity and innovation. I do diversity because it helps me to innovate. I totally like that. <laughs> So that's the other reason. The more you try to open yourself up to new experiences, the more you learn that you can get new inputs and you realize that you can contribute in many ways which you never thought possible before. So that's what, seven industries. (laughs) And then, as I said, life-changing. So I had a very successful career, did well. And then I decided to start my own business, which was my first attempt at entrepreneurship. We were the dealers for Apple computers and we did phenomenally well. Within our first six months, we received our award. Okay. My son always asked me, like, how could you give it up? And I gave him the answer. It was for you. 
<laughs> because that was my life-changing incident. We were doing fantastically well, and then I was going to have my baby. And I discovered that, that I could possibly die if I have my baby could die. Uh, because I was not able to carry. So it was a very, very difficult time in my life, emotionally, or physically, financially, in many ways. And the question was a no-brainer when my doctor asked me that it's either your business or your child. You just cannot, cannot, because I had toxemia, very severe case of it, and uh, I could not talk. I was I had to do bed rest with my legs up on three pillows and you know all that, and it was like, crazy yeah and that's when i realized that all your education all your connections all your achievements uh, does not really mean very much when you're faced with hopelessness when you're faced with ill health when you're faced with uh, difficult situations uh, it is the people around you that help you get through it. So t- tell us really- more about that i really want to know more about how did you overcome that? That sounds like a very traumatic experience. Well, I took a 10-year sabbatical. That's how long it took. People couldn't believe it. Kara not being out there was like something. Of course, not that I was completely uh, homebound. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe for the first two and a half to three years, I had to definitely be there for my son 24 by 7. But after that, I started getting involved in a lot of activities and a lot of nonprofits. And I fully went back into the volunteering space. That really made me realize how difficult it is for someone who's faced with emergencies or someone who's faced with a traumatic time in life to really be able to come out of it, right? And what does it take for it to happen? And as I said, nothing, not even money can help you there. It is the people. It is finally people. And that's one thing that, yeah, so that's one thing now that has been a very strong principle in everything we do, that human-centric approach. Every single thing we do, because even solutions, whether it's technology, financial, whatever solutions you may think you're coming up with, is ultimately driven by people. I'm with you there. Okay, so you took the 10-year sabbatical, and then now what? Tell us us how you got to where you are right now. I've lived in Japan, as I said, lived in the US. I've lived in Europe for a bit as well. And so I think I can joke with most people that I've had friends of all colors, okay? Mm -hmm. White, pink, brown, black. The only variant remaining is blue. I guess I'll need to take a trip to Mars (laughs) to make that happen. (laughs) And, and that's not very far either. You will probably be able to do it in your lifetime, the way the aeronautics industry is going. Absolutely. I think, uh, well, space travel is actually becoming a reality. So who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but again, that's an experience that really taught me that, like I said, look beyond that first glance and you'll realize that people are the same all over the world, all over the world. It really is no different. Yes, there are certain contextual things. There is no doubt about it. There are geographical aspects to what we do and how we do and what we eat and what we wear and what we say. There are a few differences, no doubt about that. But at heart, I think we're all the same. And recognizing that is really the key to everything you do in your lives. If you can make that happen, the world is your friend. There's no two ways about it. 
and naturally your first instinct is always the first look and that's perfectly fine there is nothing wrong with that it is natural human tendency what is wrong is keeping that initial thought of recognizing a person by a single thing whether it's their color whether it is their features whether it is the clothes they wear whether it's the age that is the first look that's perfectly fine but if you stick with that and I, and you refuse to go beyond those initial aspects that you recognize then you are doing something wrong mm. because mm. then you're allowing those to be the factor that determines the relationship you start building with the person opposite and i think that's wrong because i like you're that. limiting for us everything has been people oriented and it doesn't matter again whether the social or, or commercial world in fact i want to say one more thing on the commercial and social world i don't believe that there is anything like a social world and a commercial world i think there is just one world and if you see our tagline in our logo we use that and we say shared world we all share just one world and whatever we do in our so called commercial world has serious implications on our social world and whatever we do in our social world actually supports let me use the word very clearly supports the commercial world it is normally thought of the other way around mm-hmm. that it is the commercial world that supports the social world i am saying the reverse explain please tell us more about that well if the social world did not exist as it is called the social sector doing all this good work and the sustainability aspects also of the uh, non profit that we are looking at you know the world in terms of its environment as we say people and planet that's what we talk about the un sdg goals talks about people and planet right if we did not do that do you think we would have a world to live in at all number 1 number 2 if we were not looking after the people who were poor okay as was very famously once said in a unsmd address if we do not share our wealth with the poor they will share their poverty with us mm. and i think covid has shown us that what happens with the poor will affect the world and when it affects the world there will be a time it will affect even the rich and covid has shown us that very true it definitely has and not only restricted to a country or two but throughout the whole world globally it's shown us that how much more evidence do you want of knowing that our world is an interconnected world that it is a single world that it's a shared world So I want to ask you a bit more about that I want to dig deeper these big corporations have their hundreds of for profit divisions but then they have this other big division which is their corporate social responsibility division how is your model different from what they're doing thank you so much for being able to ask me that question because honestly that is the main thing that drove me when i started and that's how i started a for benefit organization first because i wanted it to be a sustainable one why we have poured billions of dollars into aid billions and billions and billions and it has not changed the world because we still have poverty we mm-hmm. still have hunger we still have devastation it has not changed yeah why is it not changing right why is it not changing because we are doing bandaid solutions 
how are we going to create sustainable solutions is the answer that I was looking for, honestly, mm. when I got started. And that's why I looked at the roles people play. How mm. do we change the way we work, right? And one of the biggest things we see is that people tend to work in cycles and they tend to work in short term. Why? Because you want to show others, oh, I've done so much. Not right. only that, but it has to show up in your performance measurements also. So, Absolutely. so and the performance measurements are all very short-term measurements. At the most, they'll go up to a year. Exactly. Nobody pats you on the back for something that's going to happen 10 years from now. Because that person is not going to be in their job by then. So why will they bother? So that is what is really, really wrong. Secondly, and this I will say with all humility, we learned this lesson really late which is why my foundation, my nonprofit happened almost six years after I got started. Okay. Because by then I realized that while yes, we do need sustainable solutions and that is paramount for a long-term impact. We also need charity. They both have to coexist because there are enough of problems in this world that cannot wait for a sustainable solution that needs an answer today. Mm-hmm. that needs a solution today, needs a resolution today. And so charity is required. But understanding the difference between charity and long-term sustainable solutions is so critical. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the CSR department and the rest. Are we saying that only the CSR department can do socially impactful work? I'm sorry, not at all. In fact, I always tell people every single department in the company is capable of doing socially, sustainably impactful work. The HR department is absolutely responsible for bringing in as much of a diverse employee workforce that they can. The marketing department is as responsible for being very, very cautious about ensuring that what they are promising and what they are delivering is the same ethics. The manufacturing department is absolutely responsible for making sure that every product that they bring into the world that they are marketing is going to be made as ethically and what you call it sustainably responsible, eco-friendly, environmentally sensitive. So there is no part of business that is not touched by social and environmental concerns. So what are you recommending? Would you say that this is where the values of the corporation comes into play, where then when you are onboarding, you start off with that tone that this is what our corporation is and that these are our values and everyone has to be socially responsible in everything that they do? Or are you saying it would be more effective if small aspects of the CSR department exist in every single division what works better it is values there Mm. is no two ways about us it is what we believe in it is what we value that is what drives us that is what binds us but these are the values we believe in it's not the economic value but the ethics and the belief system values that matter and can determine how you partner with people How do you operate your business? How do you function as a team? How do you relate to your customer? How do you communicate with the world at large? How do you function at large? So when I started looking at values, I realized 
that values again are contextual they are relationship based they are they are religion based they are geography historical all that is most affecting them so can you come up with a set of values that do not have this kind of a construct but essentially is built on a universal foundation and that's the four values that we have created based on which we have created multiple models for the way businesses can function individuals can function organizations can function communities can function and definitely society can function i really really hope that will be something that people could take away from this and so the four values that we have are responsible inclusive sustainable and eco friendly but we actually say ecosystem friendly so that it goes beyond just the environment it is the physical environment sure. is any environment in which you are and so of course if you put it together it is rice okay mm. yeah so it is about rising to a shared world and uh, rise are those four values that we have and we've created a complete model around it as i said along with the values there is a principle that goes with it to explain how this works there is a framework that takes you through uh, a journey of how you can apply it what are the outcomes that will come when you start applying it and then find the impact but while i'll not be able to go through all of that i know right sure. now i just want to maybe point out just a few things which i'm sure everybody at an individual level or at an institutional level will realize it applies mm-hmm. first and foremost i think it starts with us i mean whatever we do starts with us and therefore the first thing we need to do is being responsible you make sure you're not doing anything that can hurt somebody else you're being responsible so it starts with you when you start taking the onus of saying i'm not just part of the solution because everybody likes to be part of solutions i'm also part of the problem i also contribute to a lot of issues so if i can start doing my part of making sure that i don't add to problems i am being responsible mhm so i guess once you start taking the onus and it starts with you the next step is obviously think of others and when you start thinking about others it just means you're being inclusive and that's so important the minute you start opening yourself to experiences and people you're being inclusive so i think that is a second step and people evolve these are the steps you take in evolving as a person when you start thinking about others so what is the next step the next step is to make it a habit not just do it on on christmas night because you want to be nice and it's you feeling good about it or do it on your birthday because it's a good day or do it because you're in a good mood but you start thinking of it on a continuous basis that i need to make a difference i need to make sure that everything i do has positive impact then you start becoming sustainable you're already thinking long term you're not mm. just thinking about today because it has now become part of your dna mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. once you start becoming sustainable you've been responsible you've been inclusive you've been sustainable but we need to remember obviously the world does not depend on your shoulders and you can't do it also you cannot it's unreasonable to expect that someone can solve every problem and so if you really want to multiply and really grow you have to then start working with the ecosystem around you. 
you need to be conscious about the environment in which you function and that's when you start working with others in that ecosystem and therefore you become ecosystem friendly you don't do it just because you want to do it and you like doing it or you feel it's an important thing but you do it because the world needs you to do it and you need to do it together so this is how we work with the principle that everybody has the rise values already instilled in them it is a process of evolution so when your values match each other you will find it a lot more easier to do the last which is partner with each other and mm. therefore the rise values is not just about having the values in you but to understand that it's a journey that takes you through to really identify how best you can partner with others for a better world and as we say a greener planet because that's, for a better world and a greener planet it takes action that okay. is incredible and it's very motivating is what i want to say the last question i want to ask you before i let you go karon is tell us a couple of examples of how this is working out for you do you have any story let's not even go couple because we're running out of time but give us one solid story on what positive outcome came out of these principles when you applied it in your organization so we work with women entrepreneurs in a very big way and that's our core but we also work with people with disability so i'm going to connect the two and kind of come to you with that and we have this young girl who makes jewelry with her hands all right she's very severely paralyzed uh, her legs but so she used to make this jewelry and we we have a scheme by which our women entrepreneurs had to pay a small amount of money very nominal because i always believe that if something is completely free it is not valued enough if it's charity it's fine but if you're planning to do something that is long term and you want to make sure it continues then it has to be sustainable and so we had this very small amount because it also shows that a person is invested in that process they will not walk away from something that they've put money into and she said i can't pay you and i said okay that's fine if you can't pay can you pay some part and she said yes i can pay some part i said okay great and when should i pay the latter part and i was like you can pay whenever you like the remaining okay once you feel that you're getting value out of this and uh, it's worthwhile doing this you can pay us in one month she paid us the next installment mm-hmm. and this teaches you how when you bring in that value mm-hmm. sustainable solutions is about charity with dignity because ultimately you want them to be on their own two feet doing things themselves not depending on a handout mm-hmm. that is what the best thing you can do and this is where the rise values come into place number one i asked you to be responsible for the process not just take a donation from me or do it as a freebie for us and she took the responsibility and said yes i have to make this work as much as you are putting effort to make this work i need to make it work it well it was inclusive it was sustainable because i told them it's a long term process and they had to get benefits they had to get, make sure that this worked so that they had enough money to pay me my second installment so they knew that it had to work long term this was not just about doing something for today so they get a long term vision right from day one and last but not the least they realized that ultimately they have to work together with others nobody is just going to solve all their problems for them this was a touching story thank you so much for sharing it as sharing life lessons is all about stories and so it's great that we are ending with a story 
you've given us so much to bite on. You've given us so much to think about. I really, really hope that this is something that people will hear and maybe even try and implement in their own organizations. Because to me, it sounds like a practical and very good model to work with. So thank you for sharing that. And it was great having you as a guest on Sharing Life Lessons. Thank you once again for having me. It was my pleasure. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this dialogue with Karen as much as I enjoyed having it. As always, here are my key takeaways. One, to grow in life. If an opportunity presents itself to learn something new, then grab it. Two, look beyond the first glance where people are concerned because people are people. Even if there are differences in what color we are, what we eat, what language we speak, what we wear. At heart, at our core, we are all the same. 3. The social world supports the commercial world and not the other way around, as is normally perceived. If we don't share our wealth with the poor, they will share their poverty with us. This indeed is a profound statement. If we don't share our wealth with the poor, they will share their poverty with us. And who wants that outcome? So let's resolve to begin with writing a note to self that as much as we all know how to love and help ourselves, let's take this a bit further and let's help and love those who don't have the resources to do that for themselves. This brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.